Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about how we should treat each other in church. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about a big change that has taken place in our church. Our Sunday gathering has moved from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. You heard that right, 4 p.m. There are several reasons that we decided to make this change, but let me just tell you one. We now offer the only service in our city that isn't on Sunday morning, which gives people that have work on Sundays or other things going on an opportunity to go to church. A pastor friend of mine said to me not long ago, if you want to reach people nobody else is reaching, you have to do things nobody else is doing. And it is our hope that moving to 4 p.m. will give an opportunity to help new people experience and express God's glory. If you are in our area, we would love for you to try out our 4 p.m. service in person. If you aren't in our area, we'd love for you to watch our service online at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I think this can be a perfect way to end the weekend for those of you that listen to this podcast and are on the East Coast. For more information either way about our Sunday gathering, please visit wilsonville.church slash Sundays. That's wilsonville.church slash Sundays. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. As I thought about this passage that I want to look at today, uh, Romans 15, the beginning of Romans 15, I thought about people who change their major when they're in college. And I think that when people do that, they're, they're you know, jumping through all the hoops, they're you know, trying to do all the right things, but at some point, what they realize in their minds is that while even if they're successful, uh, they, they realize that they are aiming for the wrong thing. They might be doing everything that seems right to the people around them, but they are aiming for something that they shouldn't be aiming for, and so they make the switch. And, and here's what I think about that and why it connects to our passage I think sometimes in our interactions with one another in church, we aim for the wrong things. And, and because of that, we get the wrong results, frankly. And, and let me just tell you some of the things up front that we're going to see in this passage of Scripture this morning. Some of the things that we maybe should aim for in, instead of the things that uh, we actually aim for. Let me give you some of those examples. We are aiming often in church for personal gain when we should be aiming for the spiritual growth of others. We are often aiming for conformity around disputable matters instead of aiming for unity despite our differences. And we are often aiming for our own blessings when we should be aiming for God's glory. And in the passage that we'll look at today, Paul, by the power of God, speaks into those things and about those things. Now, as we move into this, Paul, really, as he writes this letter of Romans, he builds on what I talked about last week, what, was, what we read last week. And in Romans 14, this is how I, I summarized all of Romans chapter 14. I said this, love can turn stumbling blocks into building blocks. Love can turn stumbling blocks into building blocks. If you missed that sermon, go back and listen to it. But in today's passage, Paul continues to show us not only how Christians should treat each other, but this is, this is what I think is so important this morning, but why we should treat each other 
in those ways. And this is how he begins in Romans 15, 1 through 2. For we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. The strong are those who have accepted their freedom in Christ when it comes to disputable matters. That's what we saw in the passage last week. And the weak are those who have not. They are people who felt the need to avoid eating food sacrificed to idols, for example, or avoid drinking altogether, or treated certain days as more holy, and their conscience compelled them to do that, even though it wasn't strictly called for by God. Now, today, though, uh, the specifics of, of what we're going to read in the passage, those examples that I just gave, I don't think are as important as the general spiritual framework that Paul offers for how Christians within the church should treat each other and why they should treat each other that way. There are so many. There are so many important things in this passage. And one of them is right here at the beginning. Paul says that the strong should bear with the failings of the weak. Now, this is within the context of disputable matters, but I think it has incredible importance even beyond that. Strong Christians are called to, this is what the Greek word means, lift up the weak Christians in their weakness, which is another word for the word that the NIV translates failings. Man, this is, this is what Paul is describing. This is what I thought about when I, when I thought about uh, this analogy, and I think it's, it's almost a, a perfect description. Have you ever lifted weights? I have this little weight here. This is uh, my, my brother-in-law's. I'm just kidding. Uh, but this is a, a little weight that my wife uses sometimes. I never use anything this small. Uh, but, uh, but, but have you ever weight lifted? Maybe you haven't, and, and maybe you should. But, but have you ever weight lifted? It is very good to have what is called a spotter. And so a spotter's job, for those of you that don't know, for those of you that need to get to the gym, a spotter's job is to help you finish the last rep, right? And so you're curling, right? You're curling, you're curling, and you get to that last one and you're coming up and you just can't get it. And, and the spotter comes along and the spotter just gives you the little push that you need to get you over the top. And and here, that word picture means be a spotter for the other Christians that you go to church with. Some people have weaknesses, you know, like people bench press better and curl better. Certain people within a church, all people in a church, they have weaknesses. And it is our job as fellow Christians in a church to, to help carry, to help spot people in their weaknesses, especially those who are just weak in general. You may be thinking, that's Chad when it comes to weightlifting. But we have a responsibility as Christians, as fellow Christians, to help, to bear with, to spot when it comes to the weaknesses of those who are weak. Now, there's this other interesting uh, phrase here. He says that we are to, to strive to please other people. Now, Here's what is kind of clear in scripture. Um, we live to please God rather than others, but also we live to please others rather than 
ourselves. Now, before you think this just means that we live as people pleasers, a phrase that maybe you're familiar with, before you think that it means we live as people pleasers or that we just always are living to appease other people, you have to just wait a second because we're going to come back to that. Before I do, just a small parenthetical. Uh, The word neighbors is there. You might have seen that. We live to please our neighbors. And it is a word used 16 times in the New Testament, all but three times it's connected to loving people. If you know the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells that story in response to a question about what it means to be a neighbor. Who is a neighbor? Some of the religious leaders ask him. But let me again say that this isn't living to be a people pleaser. We don't run around saying, I hope they like me, I hope they like me, I hope they like me. Because notice what follows that word please. Notice what follows that word please. It says, we live to please our neighbors for their good and to build them up. That's what Paul is getting at. The goal is, not to make everybody happy, the goal is to work for, to strive for the good of others and to build them up. I love that last phrase. Uh, If you come to our membership class, once we start having that again, we call it the connection course. You'll hear me talk about the importance of striving to build one another up. This is a construction term that Paul uses, like putting, I talked about Legos last week, but like putting, uh, you know, uh, building blocks on top of each other, going out and hammer nails and just building a structure. And it's our job to build up the lives of fellow Christians. Have you ever, have you ever said like, I wish I could grow more? Well, that's a great thing to wish. And part of our responsibility in a church is to help others grow. But there's actually community language to this and in chapter 14. And so Paul doesn't want us just to think of building up individuals, but he wants us to think that as we build up individuals, we build up our church. Strong Christians make strong churches. Strong Christians make strong churches. And so we must be a people that strive to please others. And what does that mean? It means working for their good and helping them grow, building them up in their relationship with Christ. In verse three, Paul says, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Paul points our attention to the fact that Jesus did this very thing that he is asking us to do. Jesus didn't strive to please himself. He, he, he worked, he lived in order to please God, which resulted in him doing the very thing that would help people have good and be built up in the Lord, which for Jesus meant complete and utter sacrifice. If you don't know the story that we believe as Christians, I tell this story almost every single week. Our entire service is built around this single story, and it is that all people have sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, to say it the way that Paul says it in the book of Romans. We have all rejected our maker. We have sinned against him. And God, instead of saying, you know what, they're condemned for eternity, no hope, send them to hell, start again, or anything like that, God, instead of that, came down in the person of Jesus. Jesus lived without sinning. He lived a perfectly perfect life, flawless. And at the end of that life, he died a horrific death on a cross. On that cross, he paid the punishment for our sins. He paid the price of hell for us. 
He was put in a grave, and three days later, he rose again, conquering death for eternity for all, for all who would place their faith in him. You see, the life of Jesus was a life of pleasing others, not in trying to be a people pleaser, making everybody happy. He ticked off plenty of people, but a life that was devoted to working and striving and sacrificing for the good of others and for their building up, for them being built up. And then Paul says this very interesting thing. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they provided, we may have hope, hope. Now, Paul has talked a lot about the Old Testament in the book of Romans, and most of the time it is kind of negative. Like the, the Old Testament law can't save us, you know, it, it doesn't have the power to bring us out of our sins. We've been enslaved to it, but we have freedom in Christ. But at the end of this book, Paul Paul says, hey, this is what he's saying in verse four. It's parenthetical. Don't throw out the Old Testament because it has value for us. Even even though we've needed to be set free from its law, even though it doesn't have the power to save us, it still has value for our lives. And here he says that it can teach us, uh, there's teachings on endurance and it has encouragement in order that we might be provided with hope. Hope is a weirdly big deal in this passage. And frankly, it feels out of place. I mean, if you've been paying attention, I mean, it's our job to, to bear with the fa- failings of the weak, to, to be a spotter, right? And, and, and we strive for the good and the building up of others within our church. And the perfect example, the absolute perfect example of that was Jesus. And oh, by the way, the Old Testament is really helpful in providing us hope. Where does that come from? And here's where I think it comes from. Without hope, it is really hard to live for another person's good. Uh, this last year, right, like there were times when we felt hopeless. I, and I'll speak for myself. There were times when I felt hopeless. Like everything I tried, everything I did, it just didn't matter. And I, I felt like I was, I was in the middle of an ocean at certain times this year, just treading waters, trying to stay afloat. And I felt a little hopeless. Not like in an eternal sense, but I felt a little hopeless and a temporal sense. And it was really hard at times this year to care about, you know, preaching sermons and things like that because I was just trying to keep my head above water because of all the challenges that this last year has created. It's hard to live for another's good, to to work to build others up when we feel hopeless. But but what Paul says here is the Old Testament and its teachings and its encouragement and about enduring and all of that, it gives us hope. And I think what Paul gets at, because we'll see hope come up again here in our passage, is that when we have hope, we can live for the good of others. When we remember that ultimately we get an eternity in heaven with God, when we remember that God is on our side, that he's bringing us peace and joy and goodness despite our circumstances, when we have hope that comes from the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, it's the only thing that allows for us to live for the good and the building up of others. Without hope, it's impossible, I think, to live for another's good. But with hope, we can live to please others, to build them up. We can focus on them and their spiritual lives without just feeling like we're barely hanging on. Listen to what he says next. May the good 
may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul finishes this section with like a wish prayer. He begins this prayer with a focus on endurance and encouragement, which are two things that we must have, I believe, if we are going to hope, endurance and encouragement. There are times in life when we'll want to give up. We must endure. There are times in life when we just need encouragement. How many of you got an encouraging word, have, have had an encouraging word come from somebody else in your life, and it fills you with hope, hope that allows you to carry on? Hope helps us endure in our faith despite our struggles and hope helps us have encouragement in the midst of those struggles. And all of it allows to do the things that Paul has called us to do in this passage, including what he says next about having the same attitude towards one another as Christ had for us. I'm gonna read Philippians 2, 1 through 8 because it describes that attitude towards us. This is what it says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do not look to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's, that's the mindset of Christ who sacrificed all for our good and we must follow his example and strive to value others above ourselves, striving for their good and to build them up. And the hope for all of this is that we would be of one mind and one voice. This doesn't mean that we agree on everything. That would make this whole section pointless because Paul's talking about things that we disagree on that are disputable, things that God has not made a firm declaration on. So he isn't saying that we all agree on everything. Instead, he is saying that despite our disagreements, we still can be of one mind and one voice. I thought about this in, in terms of harmony, which I uh, think is a perfect word for what Paul is getting at when he says one voice. The idea is harmony. And I called Daniel. Uh, Daniel, if you don't know him, is leading music for us this morning. And I said, Daniel, give me a quick rundown of, of, of harmony. And uh, he knows that I don't know anything about music theory. And he kind of hem-hawed, like, how can I do this in 20 seconds, which is what I was asking for. And, and, and he basically said, it's, you know, you, it's two. I might get this all wrong. Sorry, Daniel. But it's two notes that despite being different, sound good together. And I believe he said that this is what we create chords with, like when people hit three keys on a piano, boom. I wish uh, Michael was up here to do that for us. Right, it doesn't make that sound. But that gives one single beautiful sound despite the notes being different. Paul's saying within the church there should be harmony. There should be harmony. There will be differences 
But together, those differences can be beautiful if we're striving for the building up and the good of others within our congregation. And why is it all so important? Remember, why is this all so important? What are we actually aiming for? He says, so that we may glorify God. We may glorify God. That is the... That is the reason church exists. That's what we are aiming for. At this church, we want to help all people experience and express the glory of God. The aim of church is God's glory, not our personal gain. And God's glory comes as we are unified through striving for one another's good despite our differences. The New International Commentary on the New Testament says, divisions in the church over non-essentials diverse precious time and energy from its basic mission. The proclamation of the gospel and the glorifying of God. Think about that in light of our current culture. Oh, I've, I've spent the last year talking about disputable matters. Some of them spiritual feeling, but disputable nonetheless and it has taken so much energy from 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 me aiming at the glory of god and the proclamation of his gracious gospel i think that's true for our church i think that's true for the church around the world but but what the new international commentary says is so important those things should never take us from our basic mission the disputable matter should never pull us away from our greatest mission. And they do in churches. I remember in college hearing stories about like churches fighting over having drums or not having drums. And it just, I think it's from Satan. Instead of striving for each other's good, we are striving for conformity around non-essentials. And, and Satan loves it because we're no longer proclaiming the gospel or glorifying God. Verse 7, Paul says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Again, he pulls it back to the example of Jesus. We can't do any of this if we're not thinking about how Jesus has treated us. It's impossible for me to live for your good if I don't remember that Jesus lived and died and rose again for mine. So Paul brings us back to the example of Jesus. This is, by the way, one of the reasons I think we can extend this this teaching past, you know, just disputable matters. We should always be, be living for the good of others and for their building up. The Greek word that translates accept is a word that means to take besides. It's, it's like to take as one's companion or to take into one's home or to take by the hand. It's actually used in the New Testament a couple of times of taking meat on a journey. We should be bringing people along with us. I know you won't, but keep that in your heads for a couple of weeks because we're going to come back to that idea. It's a really big idea as Paul closes his letter. A church should be a group of people who take other people along with them in their quest to serve Jesus. And it's not because of the merits of another person. It's just as Christ accepted you. And here's the reality. For all of you that are Christians, you weren't accepted by Christ because you were good enough or right enough or you know, spiritual enough or came from the right home or came from the right background or grew up in church or done enough good things. You were not accepted because of who you were. You were accepted because of grace, the grace of Jesus. And when we think about the people we go to church with, you can look around if you want to right now. 
And you think about the people around you, none of us really deserve for you to strive for our good and to build us up. It's not, it's not the merits of the people we go to church with. It's not the goodness of our church and the people who attend it that, that should make us follow the things Paul is calling us to by the power of the Holy Spirit in this passage. It's that we are trying to be like this, the Lord that we serve, Jesus the Christ, who accepted us not because of our works or efforts, our ability to fulfill the law, but because of his incredible grace. That's why we accept others. That's what it means to accept others like Christ accepted us. He continues in verses eight through 12. And, and, and I think he answers this question. Well, what about the people that don't think like us and we don't like really? Well, here, here's the answer. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with this people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One will who will arise to rule over the nations in him the Gentiles will hope. It's interesting that the last word is hope. I would just draw your mind back to everything I've said about that already. But here, Paul says Jesus came to save both Jew and Gentile, two groups that were like oil and water, two groups that didn't get along, two groups that struggled even in the early church to connect and figure out how to be with each other. And Paul says Jesus came to fulfill the promises made to the Jews the patriarchs, and he also came in order that the Gentiles, those who are far from God, might have mercy and come to God in order that they might praise him, in order that they might praise him. That word praise in verse seven is just another word for glory, and here we read it again, praise. Glorify. It's all about, it's all about Lifting the name of Jesus high. It's not about you and me and our personal satisfaction and what we like and having everybody think like us. It's about God's glory. And Jesus came that the Gentiles might glorify him as he poured out his mercy on their behalf. The reason we can, listen, the reason we can put people that we don't like or agree with above ourselves and strive for their good and their upbuilding is because all of us, you, me, all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus have been saved by him. We share this one very important thing. We recognize that we were sinners and Jesus came to save us. That's at the heart of Christi Christian unity, not conformity. It's Christ. Christ is, is at the center of unity, not conformity about spiritual matters or political opinions or anything like that. He finishes by saying, may the God of hope, again hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. Paul has another wish prayer here. And he draws our attention again back to hope. He says, the God of hope. 
He wants that God of hope, the God of hope. By the way, it is the God of hope, right? It's the only place that gave me any level of hope through the last year is God. It's the only thing that gives me hope for the future in our country, in our world. It's God. God is a God of hope. It's the only reason that I have any hope for eternity is God and the work he's done in my life. If you feel hopeless, turn to God because he is a God of hope. And Paul's wish prayer is that we would trust God, that we would trust God so that we may overflow with hope. He wants God to fill us with joy and peace as we trust in him in order that we may overflow with hope. (laughs) I think if we truly overflowed with hope, if hope was just pouring out of us, then we would do a much better job of being unified around striving for each other's good and upbuilding building each other up. And all of it happens, all of this happens by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, moving in our lives. This means that we must pray. If you struggle, if, you, if you've been bothered by people this year, if there's been you know, disputable matters, things that God has not given clear teachings on in his word, that you've found yourself fighting with others, annoyed by others, bickering with others, quarreling with others, spend a whole bunch of time praying that God would help you when these people are other Christians specifically, that God would help you. Stop aiming to get them on your side and instead start aiming for their good. Start aiming to build them up in order that we might be one and God might be glorified. God might be glorified. See, see here's, here's the deal. I think we're not getting the results we want because we're not aiming for the right things. You look around the American church and there's tons of disunity and people come to churches all the time and they never know anybody or connect with anybody. Instead, they get a little bit of a show and it's not that good of a show compared to what Hollywood can do and, and they fizzle out over time and we see churches that just don't make any impact in their communities. And we just, I mean, the church, the church in America is in disarray. But I serve a God of hope. And I have high hopes for what can happen in the decades to come. But it must start with people like you and me making a decision, especially in the area of disputable matters, to say, you know what? I am not going to aim to have everybody conform to my viewpoint. Instead, I'm going to aim for unity. I'm not going to aim for personal gain. Instead, I'm going to aim for the good and the upbuilding of others. I'm not going to aim for you know, my own blessings and my own happiness. I'm going to aim for the glory of God. And when we do those things and we seek the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer, I believe that we can become a church that is unified around glorifying our God who absolutely deserves our glory. As I think about being a church in this community, I want nothing more than for people to be able to look at us and say, Wow, their God must be awesome. I want people to be able to look at us and see that we serve an incredible 
God. I want people to look at us and, and just even by it, not without words even, I want them to know how loving of a God we serve. I want people to say, if, if their God is anything like them, then I'm interested. But it can only happen as we aim for the right things, as we aim for unity, for the upbuilding of others, and ultimately in all of it, the glory of our God because we believe we serve a God of hope and he offered us that hope by sending his son to die on a cross. Let me pray that we will be that kind of church and that you will be that kind of Christian because strong, strong Christians make strong churches.